Welcome to the Michelleness Project. This is a conversation about fitness, mindfulness, happiness, healthiness, and all the other Nesses we'll encounter along the way. I'm Michelle Mason, a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach, and I'll be your host along this journey. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Michelleness Project. It is so good to be back on the mic today. A little bit of a hiatus there as the year wound down. Um, I'm sure, you know, a lot of you probably aren't surprised by that given what I had shared in some of my previous podcasts about, you know, uh, you know, just struggling with some some burnout and trying to figure out where to put my energy and attention. You know, I can't do all the things, running my own business, coaching people online, coaching people in person, managing my children's schedules, my own training schedule as I prepared for a powerlifting meet in November, which I'll fill you in on today, you guys. Um, so, you know, it's just, it was constantly a game I felt like of figuring out Uh, what I had the energy and bandwidth for, never wanting to sacrifice my main priority, which is my clients and my family. And so, you know, navigating the things like social media and when and where to do this podcast kind of was in flux a little bit more. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really great, really positive mindset so far and, uh, have put in a lot of like deep soul searching work, a lot of journaling, and hashing out kind of where my anxieties were, like things that they were surrounding and, you know, did a lot of reflecting on that uh, over these past few months. So right now, you know, it's feeling, um, you know, really good to be able to be sharing this part of myself with you guys again. And I've even been, you know, playing around on social media a little bit more, posting in the Michelle Mason Strong Squad. That is my private Facebook group for anyone who works with me, uh, either in a one-on-one capacity or in a small group coaching or programming capacity, which I will explain actually towards the end of this episode, because I do want to give you guys uh, kind of an update on some of my coaching options. But we'll save that for the end. Um, In any case, super happy to be here. I hope that you guys are all doing well, and I just really want to dive right in. Um, I want to cover first a recap of my powerlifting meet because a lot of you had were so kind and had asked me how I did, and you know had wanted more details on that. So I really want to go a little bit more in depth on that. Uh, But then I had posted last week in the Strong Squad and just kind of wanted to get a sense of like what was on your mind and what you guys were thinking and worrying about. You know, it doesn't matter if I talk to myself in a vacuum. I am constantly reading and researching new studies on resistance training and nutrition, and I'm always educating myself. And so what like interests me might not be of use to you. And so it was really good for me actually to, to post last week and kind of get a sense of where you guys were. Um, because I think that, you know, it's, it's stuff that we've definitely talked about in this podcast before, but you know, some of the things you're concerned about with like being afraid of food and, the scale and, uh, you know, equating what you put in your mouth to, you know, what you deserve based on how much you've exercised that day and things like that. So I really wanted to dive a little bit deeper into those subjects today. 
Um, because I think especially this time of year, there's a lot of noise out there, right? There's a lot of people who are, you know, shilling their 30 day transformation challenges, their pyramid schemes, trying to get you involved in those. They're trying to, you know, push you to do things like 75 hard and just these like complete overhauling of your habits. And I am here to kind of cut through that bullshit and that that noise and kind of guide you and set you up for hopefully a really great year ahead. Uh, so first, I do want to go back and go through my powerlifting competition recap that was in November. And even if you are not at all interested in powerlifting, which is totally fine, I, I truthfully, you know... Uh, train a lot of people who are not at all interested in training like a power lifter. And I completely respect that. However, even if you're not interested in powerlifting, I'm going to encourage you to listen to this part anyway and not skip ahead because a lot of what I'm about to say, I think will relate to probably how you're feeling and what we're going to touch on a little bit later in the podcast. Okay. So the first thing that I wanted to do was kind of give you a brief overview of how a powerlifting meet works. So there are three lifts that you perform in a powerlifting meet. The squat, the back squat specifically, the bench press, and the deadlift. On the deadlift, you can do either the conventional deadlift where your toes are pointed forward, your legs are a little bit closer together, more of what you think of when you think of a deadlift, or you can perform a sumo deadlift, which is that wider stance, toes externally rotated variation. So those are the three lifts. And your score is dependent on the sum total of your three lifts. So you have three opportunities for each of those three lifts in order to put up the best number possible. And then they add it all together. And then based on where you land, uh, you know, that would be how you determine who places where in the competition. It's also separated by weight classes. And there are different divisions like um, sub masters, masters, the open division, which is, you know, anyone can enter, uh, as long as they're over 18. And then there's usually a juniors division. You'll have some people who come and just compete in, you know, bench only, um, or a push pool, which is the, um, the bench and the deadlift. But, you know, for the most part, you'll have, uh, people who are performing all three of the lifts and, in addition to that, uh, you know, some people have different, uh, so some people wear knee wraps and they, so they have a division for that. Some people wear a squat suit and they perform what's called equipped lifting, uh, which is a little bit different than powerlifting. And frankly, it's not something that I've ever done. Um, so I can't really speak on that. There's definitely better resources if that's something that you're interested in. Um, but I compete in raw powerlifting. I do wear, uh, knee sleeves. That's a new development based on the new federation that I joined this year. Different federations, there's a couple of different federations if you want to compete in powerlifting, and they all have slightly different tweaks on the rules. The general idea is the same, um, but they've got slightly different rules. And the federation that I chose to compete in this time around, um, the USAPL, they allow for, or I'm sorry, I did USAPL. 
USPA. <laughs> See, they're all like it, they're all like different variations of like the same initials and things like that. So it gets kind of tricky. But in any case, I was allowed to compete in knee sleeves, and of course, you are allowed to compete wearing a belt. Uh, they do inspect your equipment to make sure that everything you know is standard and you're not you know cheating in any way with like a thicker belt that might help you more thicker knee sleeves. You're allowed to wear wrist straps, but again, when you get to a powerlifting meet, they inspect all of your equipment to make sure that you are um, not in an advantage over anyone else. So they kind of level the playing field as best they can via the equipment and the um, divisions that they have and the weight classes. So for this particular meet, I had decided, we chatted about this back in the fall, I had decided to go up a weight class And the reason I decided to do that is because the last couple of times I competed, I was like right at the tippy top of the uh, weight range for my class. And to be honest with you, it was just getting very challenging to stay there as I was putting on muscle and getting stronger. And I just kind of felt like I was holding myself back because I wasn't able to eat more food and continue to grow in the way that I needed to because I was worried about staying in this weight range. Now, what I would tell anyone else that I was coaching, unless you are going for a state record or a world record, or you are very competitive in powerlifting, you should not be worrying about your weight class. You should be eating to fuel your strength. You should be eating to fuel your recovery. You should be eating to get strong as hell. Uh, You should not be worrying about this. But here's where that mental side of things comes in. And this is where it kind of relates to, I'm sure, what a lot of you are thinking about and what's on your mind is when you have ever struggled with your weight, which I have, and I've been very open with that um, and have gone up and down through the years, I had maintained my weight for like four years, maybe at that point, you know, after uh, my daughter was born and man, that seeing that number on that scale can really mess with your head. I understand that as a coach, I'm telling you that I understand that as someone who coaches people in nutrition and understands how this all works. I know better. I know that just because the number goes up doesn't mean that your body composition gets worse or you get quote unquote fat, you know, the fear that people have. Um, and I'm not, you know, using that, that term loosely, you know, I'm, I'm just using it because I think a lot of people tell me that they feel fat, right. Um, and they panic when they see that, that scale going up and that's the feeling that it provokes, Um, which is not even a thing, but I digress. Uh, That's just our brains and diet culture and everything we've been exposed to working against us. Um, But for this meet, I finally was like, you know, if I'm going to do this, I might as well see how strong I can actually get. And obviously being at the top of the, I had put on about five pounds, um, you know, just life and priorities and, you know, all that that kind of stuff shifting. Uh, so it just became a no-brainer because then I wouldn't have to lose weight. I could kind of focus on maintaining or even gaining a few pounds over the cycle and you know, really seeing how that impacted me and treating it like an experiment because truthfully, if I didn't go and put up bigger numbers or if I, if I felt worse, 
it probably isn't worth it to me, right? So, you know, I'll always tell somebody that I'm coaching, if it's your first meet, just compete where you are and, you know, take it meet by meet and really see if you actually need to cut. I think that cutting weight should be an absolute last resort um, unless, you know, there's a health concern or something else that we're dealing with in the off season or, you know, like I said, you've got a record that you're chasing and so you can only, you know, know that you can only hit that weight um, if you're in that weight class. So, you know, for me, it just made sense to treat it as an experiment and see if it really helped or not. So that's what I did. And because I was training for a meet, um, you know, when I am coaching somebody who is in a strength cycle, I actually don't, and this is contrary to what a lot of coaches might say, I don't actually advocate for a huge surplus or trying to purposely put on a lot of weight during a strength phase of training, meaning that the intensity is getting higher. So you are lifting heavier weight for fewer reps. Um, And this is something, again, we've talked about this, but just a brief recap. As you're training for powerlifting, because you're training for a one rep max that you're performing at the meet, your training is structured. You start off with more training volume, more sets, more reps, lighter weight. And then as your cycle progresses, you will start to drop the amount of sets and reps, but the weight goes up, right? So by the tail end of your training cycle, you are lifting very heavy weights for like one to three reps. Um, going into a competition, you'll be practicing your your you know one rep. Uh, it might not be like a true all out max, but it's pretty darn close. So during a strength cycle like that, I actually don't want to see somebody put on too much body weight because in my opinion, it's a false sense of strength, right? Because if you clearly mass moves mass, we remember that from our science classes when we were little. And if you are putting on a lot of weight, of course, you're going to be able to lift more weight. And it's going to also change your levers if you put on too much weight. So like if you get a thicker waist, like your belt's going to fit you differently. It might feel different when you squat or deadlift, like based on, um, you know, if your uh, leg muscles are a little bit bigger or your waistline is a little bit bigger and things like that. So I think it's a better um, reflection of true strength built if you can actually maintain your weight, or maybe put on like, you know, a couple of pounds. And I'm talking like three to four pounds max, like nothing crazy, like 20 pounds. Um, and so for me, I was really primed to do that, you know, so I was really excited about it and, you know, spoiler alert, it went very well. And I'm so happy that I did it, that I trusted the process. Um, I will say that there were definitely a lot of times during the meat prep where it screwed with my head, where, I would look in the mirror and I would feel fluffy again, coming back to how I felt, right? It's not even that it was accurate um, because the scale didn't really change and it was just a a sense of feeling. It was a sense of, you know, feeling puffier, feeling like, you know, squishier, softer and, um, you know, just battling the demons in my head more than anything else. But man, I'll tell you what, more food. I definitely felt stronger. Um, I noticed that I wasn't dreading my training session so much. We talk a lot about the M word, the motivation (laughs) uh, and how much I hate that. And it's really, you know, we just have to have the discipline to get down there. And of course the, 
you know, there's some tricks we can use to, you know, help ourselves get through a training session that we're kind of dreading. But, um, you know, I would be training and I would have very low motivation and, I didn't have that this cycle. I was actually truly excited to train probably because I was better recovered because I had more food and more carbs specifically. Uh, carbohydrates are your body's preferred source for training. And so, you know, if you want to lift heavy, if you want to train hard four to five days a week, upping your carbohydrates is, is definitely, um, something to, to look into. So I definitely felt like more motivated to train. I felt like I could get through sessions easier without bonking out and feeling like I was hitting a wall. I definitely did not get as sore. Um, I felt like, you know, I slept better. That's, that is so huge is that I just, I slept so much better. I didn't wake up four times a night. You know, I would make, maybe wake up one time a night to go to the restroom, but then I would fall right back to sleep, which you know, in the last like five to seven years, I've been the type of person that will wake up in the middle of the night and sometimes I'll struggle to fall back to sleep for like a couple of hours. But man, as soon as I adjusted my food intake and started eating more food, I stopped doing that. Um, so that was interesting as well. So I think that the, you know, decision that I made to go up a weight class worked tremendously well for me. And so what I'm going to continue to do here in the off season is, um, kind of try to maintain that and go through different types of training to see how it makes me feel, you know, across the board, it, treating it as kind of an experiment to see what my body responds best to taking a really long break from reducing calories and then probably go, uh, and take a little cut slash diet, leading up to summer once I've built some more muscle. Um, so that's kind of my plan there, but back to the meet that day, everything felt really good. Um, I was very nervous in the couple of days leading up to it. Like so nervous. I found myself, I continually kept trying to like look for excuses for why I couldn't do it. Um, and the biggest one, I ended up adopting a dog, Josie. You've probably seen her on my social media. I am obsessed with her. She came into our lives at exactly the right time. I have a very senior dog, Gertie, and, um, you know, she's not going to be with us much longer. And I know that. And there was a random day where she was having a great day and seemed to have some energy. And so I decided to take her to the dog park where she hadn't been in years. And we got to the dog park and we met Josie with her foster mom. And as soon as I saw the two of them interacting, as soon as I saw Josie interacting with my daughter, I just knew it was meant to be. I was not even looking for a dog, but you know, she kind of found us and it just felt right because it seemed like Gertie had a hand in, in that. And so, um, you know, we were busy that week. And so I guess that's probably a legitimate thing. Like I didn't want to leave her like a couple of days after starting to train and train her. And I, I just think that this is like, it's good for me to talk this out out loud because I think that it's probably going to happen every time I compete. It's just, that's how my nerves present themselves in the coming days. I'm sure those of you who have done marathons and um, other races and competitions and things like that can probably relate. It's just like, again, the like mind games that, that come into play there uh, start to, you know, really take over. So I, you know, just kept telling myself, like, you always feel this way, follow through, follow through. And so I went there that day 
Um, one of the things that gets kind of crazy about powerlifting meets is you never know like how many people are really competing and you're not really sure what the lay of the land is going to be like, you know, are they going to have enough equipment for everybody to warm up on? Is it going to be, you know, like a cluster of people and you're, you know, you're always panicking thinking like, am I going to get enough warm up attempts before I hit my squats? Um, and stuff like that. But this particular meet, everything went well in that regard. I think the thing I've learned competing a few times is that nothing ever goes to plan. And so I can say that if there's one lesson that powerlifting has taught me that co- like carries over to life and that I would want to impart on you is that, you know, because nothing is ever going to go 100% perfectly, you are always going to have to pivot, adapt, adjust. And I think it's just a good reminder for how we need to, you know, handle these obstacles when they come up in our lives. Um, and so the order you compete in is squat and then bench and then deadlift. And they separate you out by flights depending on how many people. And so it's typically people who are lifting around the same weight for your first attempt. And, um, you know, my first attempt went great. It felt awesome. And so then I decided to make a bigger jump for my next attempt. So when you, as soon as you complete your lift, there are three judges and they either give you a white or a red light. Um, I got three white lights on that one. And after you complete the lift, then you go over to the scoring table and then you tell them, you know, if you didn't complete the lift successfully, you have the option to retake that same weight again. Or if you want to go up and wait, you can tell them. And so I had had a strategy. My husband, Rob, came with me. Um, I had had a strategy that we had mapped out where, like, if it felt super easy, I would go for a bigger jump on the next attempt. If it didn't, I would take a smaller jump. It felt really good. So I decided to make a huge jump, like a 25-pound jump, I think, which is, you know, pretty big for me. Um on a second attempt, but I was feeling pretty confident and it was a number I'd hit in training a few times before. So second attempt on squats, uh, that was like the scariest one probably because I, you know, taking those big jumps, it's just like, I don't think I was prepared for how heavy it was going to feel on my back. And I rushed it. I mean, I flew, like I dropped in the hole, uh, the bottom of the squat so quickly And then, uh, coming out of it, I was like, Oh shit. Like that felt heavier than I thought it would. But I also knew that I had like kind of lost my balance and I felt my weight shift around. And so I I knew it wasn't really the weight. I just knew I needed to like slow down, get more tight, take a better brace and have better control on the next one. So I still decided to take the number that I wanted to hit, um, for my third attempt I ended up going with 281.1. They do kilos in the Federation I competed in. So everything was done in kilos versus pounds. So the poundage was a little bit off. Um, But then the third attempt felt awesome. Like it was definitely challenging, but I know I could have done more. And that I think is something too that I want people to take away when you do a powerlifting meet you know, especially if it's like your one of your first couple of meets, I think that it is better to complete, you know, at least two of your three attempts. Like I said, there's, there's, um, it's never going to always go to plan. And I do think that a third attempt is, you know, a good time to go for a PR or to make a, you know, bigger jump. If you want to see what you're capable of, 
you know, especially if you're feeling really good and use that adrenaline in the crowd and all of that to your advantage. But there's also a lot to be said for hitting a number that you feel fairly confident you can hit, even if you've never hit it before. It was within five pounds of what I had hit in training. So I felt pretty confident, but man, did my confidence go through the roof when I hit it. And I felt like, oh shit, I probably could have added like another 10 pounds and still hit it. But you know what? That's what's going to keep me coming back for more. Like that is what's going to drive me to train and compete again. You know, that's how it hooks you because <laughs> you always have something just out of reach that you're working towards. Um, bench, unfortunately, that's where things kind of fell apart a little bit and did not go as well. Um, but you know, first of all, bench is the lift that I always get in my head about anyway. And I struggle with, you know, more than the other two. Um, but in this particular case, I changed my setup and, Again, I would never advise anybody do this on the day of the meet or even close to the meet. I want everything to to be as similar to how you've practiced in the past. But I made a tweak based on um, I had been putting my foot up, feet up on the bench to get into my arch position. And if you're not a power lifter, don't worry about this. It's another topic for another day. <laughs> but um, in essence, I started putting my feet down and trying to find my arch that way. And it didn't work. And I just unfortunately wasn't high enough up on my traps. I got my first attempt, um, which was 126.8. And then I was going to go, I went 135 on my next attempt. And then I was going to aim for 140 to 145 for my third attempt because I had hit 140 a couple of times in training, 140 pounds. Um, unfortunately I think because I had changed my setup and it didn't, I wasn't, you know, concentrating on my arches quite as much. I started to get a lot of cramping in my lower back and then missed my next two attempts there. So I was kind of bummed about that. But again, the thing about powerlifting is what's, what's your option? You know, it's just like in life, like when you're dealt a shitty hand, you just have to keep moving forward. And so I was bummed. I let myself be frustrated and upset for about 10 minutes. And then I switched my focus to deadlift. Now deadlift is the one that I was worried the most about in competition, because while it is historically my best lift, and I've always managed to go three for three on attempts and deadlifts in a meet, I was really struggling with deadlifting during this training block. Like it just felt terrible. I couldn't find um, my positioning. It just, everything just always felt off. And so I just, I, I was really in my head about deadlifting and I, um, you know, I, I was really, really nervous about it. So I had like so many options and backup options and I decided to open my first attempt very conservatively for my, myself. Um, just so you know, kind of where I was planning, I was really hoping for a 375 pound deadlift at this meet. My previous one rep max was 360 pounds. Um, so for me, I planned on opening conservatively and my first attempt was 305 pounds because I knew that I could hit that weight no matter what. Like even if I wasn't bracing, if my core wasn't tight, if I was out of position, I can make 305 happen for, you know, five to seven reps on any day. Um, and that's a really good piece of advice for your first powerlifting meet or any powerlifting meet is your first attempt should be something you are so confident in hitting, like you could hit it for at least three reps. 
And the reason that a lot of coaches will say that is because there's so many factors that can go into play. Like you're nervous. Uh, you could do what I did and like rush the squat. You want to be listening for the commands because they, um, they have commands for each of the lifts that you have to follow as well. You know, you don't know what the warm up situation is going to be like. So there's just a lot of variables. And if you don't get any of the lifts, by the way, like let's say you don't hit any of the squats, like either you don't hit depth, you miss the commands or you fail the weight, you uh, bomb out. That's what it's called. Like you will not be allowed to continue to compete. And you don't want to bomb out of your your first meet, you know. So um, you want to really try to pick a weight. At least your opening attempt should be something that you know you could hit at any given time, no matter what, uh, best or worst of circumstances. And that way you stay in the game on the board. So I opened very conservatively because I was so nervous. That went really well. Like it felt like it flew up and it felt like more like the old me. So for my next attempt, I made... A uh, pretty big jump. I think I went to like 335 or 340. But again, it was numbers that I had hit in training. So I felt pretty confident about that one. Uh, that one felt good, but, you know, not great. Um, and then I went up and I just in that moment, like, I think I would have felt very confident putting like 350 on the bar after that second attempt. But I just, I remember walking up to the judges and just saying, YOLO, I'm going to go, whatever the kilo like conversion was, 363 pounds was enough that it was above my previous one rep max. Um, but it was still less than 375, you know? So it's like, okay, like I'm probably not going to realistically hit 375 today, but let's just try for at least a little, you know, tiny PR here. And so that's a pretty big jump. And I went up to the the platform not feeling very confident, which is unlike me because usually by the time I've hit my second deadlift, I'm like, okay, things are feeling good. I feel really confident about this. Um, it's just like the lift I enjoy doing the most and feel the best about. So I was not feeling that way. So I go up to that bar and immediately my weight shifts back into my heels, like terrible form. I am pulling it up with my lower back the entire way. I think when I go back and watched it, when I went back and watched it, it took me seven seconds to pull that lift off the floor. And when I locked it out, just the sense of relief and joy that I felt, it was like seriously right up there with like the best experiences in my life. I just, if you've ever competed in something or worked really hard for something, you know what I'm talking about. And again, that's what keeps you coming back for more. You can hear the excitement in my voice because that feeling is just, it's just unmatchable. You know, you can't, you can't recreate that. You can't force that. It felt so good. And I put that down and just immediately like started crying. Um, the judges came up, like one of the judges was like, wow, like your effort there way to stick with that. And it just made me feel so proud of myself. So I'm so, so, so grateful that I stuck with this training cycle. As always, there were lots of ups and downs, but that feeling, walking away, feeling like I've got goals to work on and things I want to achieve and feeling like, you know, I, I did the best I could on that given day is what I'll take with me. And so it all went so well. 
Um, and that, uh, I will stop my meat recap there. Um, I hope that that wasn't too painfully boring for some of you. I hope that you were able to get, you know, some good advice and just kind of understanding my mindset and really why I wanted to share that is because I wanted you to know how much I can relate and empathize with you and for your struggles and the things that you're going through. I think that that makes me a better coach because I struggle with a lot of the same things that all of you do. I've been there, um, and I've had to, to work through it myself. So pivoting from there, I wanted to talk about uh, a couple of things, you know, as I touched on earlier in the episode that I had put feelers out there for some of the things that were on your mind. And one of the things that came up was uh, the idea of this like fear and anxiety around food. There were a couple people, uh, one person who had lost a significant amount of weight and was feeling very anxious and, and trepidatious around food because she did not want to put back on weight. There's another person who said that she felt so overwhelmed by the concept of uh, preparing all of her meals in advance that it just led her to not want to eat or just being so afraid of like the choices she was making that she just would opt to eat nothing instead. And, you know, I can totally relate to this. This is a place where I've definitely been in the past. Um, It's something that I've had to put a lot of work into through journaling, through therapy, through working with coaches myself, and just really doing some like deep, deep digging here on why I felt that way. The, the anxiety of the scale going up or, um, the fear around food or worse for me was always the feeling of like, well, if I can't do it perfectly, screw it. You know, I'm just not going to log today. Or if, you know, you are out with friends just saying, oh, well, well, I'll just, you know, eat whatever tonight and get back on track tomorrow. You know, I've been there in, in the past as well. And, and I can totally like, you know, empathize with how you guys are feeling there. Um, I will say I'm going to bring this back to training a little bit of a different angle than we've talked about it in previous episodes. But one of the most important things that I did to, to overcome this in addition to, of course, the therapy, the journaling and all the like really deep mental work is I uh, started worrying more about the weight on the bar than the weight on the scale. And this is a gift that I had given to myself when I started really seriously strength training and powerlifting uh, four or so years ago. But it is has been crucial in helping me to understand how important food really is. Again, I am a coach. I live, eat, breathe this stuff. I work with people daily. For years, I was coaching people and I know what to do. I know how to help them. But I was still struggling with those same thoughts and fears and anxieties myself. So again, like, you know, don't shame yourself if this is where you are right now because it's totally normal. But uh, definitely focusing my shift, shifting my focus to the weight on the bar versus the weight on my scale tremendously helped me. And there's a few reasons for that. First of all, as I kind of explained in my meat recap, the more you eat, the stronger you're going to get, the better your training is going to feel. Uh, the more recovered you're going to be, the less sore you're going to be. And when I say I'm eating more, like I do want to clarify, I don't mean eating like an asshole. I'm not talking about eating 
fast food, processed foods, lots of alcohol, sugar, and things like that. I'm talking like eating more protein, eating more carbohydrates, more vegetables, fruit, fiber, things like that. So whole foods, like foods that came from the earth or from an animal. Um, but if I wanted the bar weight to go up, I had to eat to fuel that. I had to eat to recover from that. Um, and also I think that it's important to note here that if you're focusing on the weight on the bar, that means that you are training and not working out. And the big difference here is working out. I think it means something a little bit differently to, uh, different to everyone, but working out means sweating, getting your heart rate up. It might mean like a Peloton workout. It might mean like a group fitness class. It's something that you can go and do, but you're not repeating the same thing each week to ensure that you are getting progressively stronger. So like if you're taking a Peloton class, for example, you take that class once a week, you work up a sweat, you burn some calories. That to me is working out. You're not going to then go back and do that same class the next week. And most likely, most of you are not going to go back and do, okay, I'm going to do that exact same ride, but I'm going to like make the resistance a little bit heavier here. I'm going to, you know, add more weight here. I'm going to sprint this much faster here for that progressive overload, like getting progressively stronger, adding more weight, adding a faster time, things like that each week for, you know, four to 12 weeks, like you would in a strength training program. Um, and so that's working out. Training is very different. It's a different mindset. It's a different mentality. It's a different way of approaching what you do. And frankly, I think it's also going to go a long way in helping a lot of you feel like you have that motivation everybody's always looking for. (laughs) If you look at it as, okay, I am following this program, this set of exercises for the next, you know, let's say four to eight to 12 weeks or whatever. I'm going to do these exercises. Each week, I'm going to focus on progressive overload, meaning I'm either going to add more sets, more weight, more reps, uh, a longer pause, better form or better range of motion. These are all ways to track your progress week to week. And if you have a strength-based goal, for example, I want to be able to do a pull-up. I want to be able to do a body weight deadlift. I want to be able to goblet squat half my body weight for five times or five reps or whatever. Those are all really good training goals. And that is going to keep your mindset on um, working, you know, going down to work to put in the effort that you need to achieve those goals to make the weight on the bar or the dumbbell or the kettlebell go up. That is a very different mentality than working out. What working out does is it unfortunately gets us into this mindset where we equate what we put into our body with what we, um, you know, take out or uh, more simply put, we, a lot of times we'll try to out exercise our diets. So, oh, I can't have that because I didn't work out today, or I have to work out today because I know I'm going out for drinks tonight, or I have to work out today because I was really bad yesterday. These are all phrases, like some iteration of the same thing that I hear week in and week out. And, um, first of all, there is no like direct correlation between input and output. And so really, if you can just kind of separate the two, you're training because you want better bone density, because you are trying to reach a certain goal, because you 
are trying to reach better body composition, you know, muscles under your skin look better. You can be the same weight or even a little heavier and look better because of the composition of your frame, right? More muscle is leaner, is sleeker, is more compact, is more dense than body fat, right? Um, and so if you are just focusing on, you know, working out or what you can eat based on working out, it's, it's never going to be a direct correlation because, you know, first of all, like all of our fitness trackers, I think we all know this by now, but like the calories burned on the machine, on your Apple watch, on your Garmin are largely inaccurate because your body is an efficiency machine. It gets more efficient at these things over time. And so it just is not a reliable source of saying, okay, well, my workout said I burned 500 calories. That means I get 500 extra calories. Uh, The two, you know, they only are dependent on each other in the sense that if you tell me that you're training five times a week, I'm going to set your calories at a different level than I would if you told me that you trained never or once a week, right? Because clearly you're more active. You need more food uh, to sustain those activities and recover. And that's a much better way of approaching it than, you know, trying to, okay, well, I burned 500 calories, so I get to eat 500 more calories or, you know, punishing yourself into exercising because you quote unquote, you know, were bad or ate too much, or you know that you have something coming up that night. Uh, You're much better off figuring out how to control your nutrition in a way that really serves you. And again, focusing on you know, training, because again, like you heard my voice, right? I, it was clear to me. So I hope it was clear to you how excited I got talking about powerlifting. Find yourself a reason to train that excites you that much. And I promise you the rest of it will fall into place because you're going to start to eat for performance. You're going to start to eat so that you feel good. It doesn't have to be powerlifting. It can be because your kids are getting older and you want to be able to continue to carry them. It can be because you want to join an adult volleyball league and you don't want to embarrass yourself by getting winded two minutes in, you know, like it can be anything, but really get clear on why you are training and use that to guide you. Use the weight that you're holding, the reps that you're doing, the form to, to be the reason that you're training and, you know, really focus on food separately. Um, the two have nothing to do with one another in the context of calorie burn. Okay. And so I just don't want you guys to get into that place where you think that you have to earn your food through exercise, because no matter what you deserve food, you deserve fuel. The other thing that I'll say here that really closely relates is that if you are not eating enough, you are going to have a lot more anxiety around food. And the reason I say this is because I think a lot of us have been there If you are trying to diet or eat too little calories, let's say you're trying to eat 12 to 1400 calories or whatever, that is literally always running through your brain, right? Because it's very hard to fit in a day's worth of food and stay under that calorie goal. So all day you're thinking about, okay, well, how little can I get away with eating here so that I still have room for dinner with my family? Or I know I want to go out and have drinks with my friends. How am I going to, you know, fit all this in? And so you end up like restricting, 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 and then overeating. 
you know, if you don't overeat that day because you're so hangry by that point, what ends up happening is if let's say you can even do this a few days in a row, like Monday through Friday, a lot of people will think about restricting their calories only to then on Saturday and Sunday binge on everything in sight or eat way too much or say fuck it and just, you know, order the wings and the beer and the, you know, pizza, whatever, because they are hungry because it has taken so much of their willpower to restrict that hard all week. Now, let's say that you're eating enough. Um, Let's say if you're the person who was eating 1,400 calories a day, let's say you start eating 1,800 calories a day, which sounds really scary to some of you, 2,000 a day, 2,500 a day. You know, eating more food every single day What happens is that, A, you have more room for all of those indulgences in your daily caloric budget. So you might have the room for, you know, a dessert with your friends or something. Uh, You're not going to be getting so hangry that by the time Saturday rolls around, you need to say, screw it, right? And so what happens there is you're not necessarily like people, you know, get confused by this. And I totally understand because it is confusing when someone says eat more to lose weight. They don't mean like eat 3000 calories a day and you will lose weight, you know, a pound or two a week. That's not what they mean. How it really works though, is let's say you were eating 1200 calories every day and then 3000 calories each of the weekend days you know, whatever that averages out to is obviously, you know, probably more closer to your maintenance calories, right? But if you're going ahead and eating 1800 calories every single day, seven days a week, and not having those giant spikes on the weekends, or when you go out with your friends, you're still going to end up netting less calories overall. And that's the part people are scared to up their calories. But what they don't understand is by you know, putting in a little more food throughout the week, you save yourself that heartache on the back end, that fuck it mentality, that it's not perfect, might as well not do it. I'm just going to have six beers and pizza and you name it, right? We've all been there. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so learning to trust your body and eat enough. If you are trying to maintain your weight, congratulations, you have so many more calories to play with than you did when you were trying to lose weight. So what I would say there is just slowly bump up your calories over time. If you're still trying to, you know, eat what you did when you were dieting, slowly incrementally bump those calories up. Um, so that you're not, you know, seeing too much of a change on the scale, but man, you're going to feel so much better once you've worked those extra calories in, right? So those are just some things to think about. Um, again, you know, all things that I have experienced, things that have helped me and my mindset. And so I hope that they really help you as well. Um, I'll end there for today because we've kind of gone through a lot. This has gotten longer than I expected And so I'm going to let you guys go for today. But before I do that, I do want to make you guys aware of a couple of new coaching options, ways to work with me. Um, This is something that I have been kind of playing around with for a couple months now. And I'm excited that, you know, it's out there and that people have been enjoying it so far. And so I am looking to build that this year. But it is a monthly coaching option. 
Um, this is a, an option that is basically the lowest cost way to work with me on a monthly basis. I will provide programming for you in True Coach, the app that I use to do, you know, all of my program writing and you can access it on your phone. I'm like the trainer in your pocket. You can take me to the gym or at home and you can go through my training sessions, my programming on a monthly basis. Now, this is a little bit different than one-on-one coaching. Well, it's actually, it's pretty different. What this is, is I'm basically, I'm writing your programming each month. You have the ability to tell me if you want to train two, three, or four days a week, and I will give you the programming based on that. This program option assumes that you have access to dumbbells or kettlebells. Um, I am working on a barbell version in the future, but I'm not ready on that yet. But this is a way for people, you know, you're not going to get video reviews. You're not going to get feedback from me. You're not going to get adjustments, you know, hey, I hurt my ankle. I need to do, you know, can I have an option for this instead? So it's not um, by any means one-on-one coaching, but at least it's a, a sound program that you can follow, right? Like I wanted people who couldn't necessarily afford one-on-one coaching to still have access to me my programming. At least this way, even if you're not doing video form checks and one-on-one adjustments based on you, individualized programming, you are still following a program that I endorse, that I approve, that I'm carefully curating and planning out each month. So if you you are looking or struggling um, to kind of find your stride in the gym, this is perfect for you. I don't recommend this for true beginners just because I think that it really helps in the beginning to have somebody looking at your form, making sure you're doing everything correct. But if cost is a barrier, it might be a good option for you. If you are someone who just really wants the, you know, automation of like having your workout thought out for you, I can plug that in for you. You can take that off of your plate. This would probably be a good option for you. I also am writing 12-week programs for people. This is really suitable for athletes um, and, you know, people who, again, are looking for a, you know, way to work with me that is a little bit uh, less costly than one-on-one coaching and, um, you know, is this is a little bit more tailored to you. So it's a little bit more expensive. Um, but you get programming for you for 12 weeks at a time and it's based on your equipment and it's based on a movement assessment. And then finally, I'm offering my one-on-one coaching truly while on paper it costs more. I do think that this is the best value because everything is individualized to you. You get new programming every four to six weeks. You get form checks. I watch videos. I give you feedback. Um, I am accessible via uh, messages. You know, you can reach out to me anytime and I'll quickly respond and help you out. I will adjust for travel, injury, all of that fun stuff. So uh, it had just been a while since I laid out the various coaching options and since the one-on-one programming, uh, monthly programming, or I'm sorry, can't even talk today. The monthly programming option is new. I did want to make you guys aware of that. All right. Any questions, any feedback, please don't hesitate to reach out. You know how to find me and otherwise take care and I will see you guys next time.
Thanks for joining me for this podcast. It means the world to me to have you here, and I hope that you found this helpful. If you have a question that you'd like me to talk about on the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can submit a question to me directly at my website, michellegmason.com, or email me at michellegmason at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at michellegmason or request to join my private Facebook group, Michelle Mason Strong Squad. Until next time, be well. Thank you.